So, we're going to continue our conversation um, of grapes and giants now. I'm sorry you have to listen to me for so long this morning, but um, that's just the way the cookie crumbled. Thanks, Joey. Appreciate it. Yeah, my wife doesn't like to listen to me, Mandy. She gets sick of me pretty quick. <laughs> we, we got part three of Grapes and Giants starting this morning. So it's uh, Grapes and Giants. We've been looking at this for a couple of weeks. Um, in, in Deuteronomy, in the old part of the, of the Bible, there's a bunch of guys and they're God's chosen people. And God says, I've got something awesome planned for you. I want you to go and conquer this land. And they were nearby. They were near it. They weren't quite there, but they were nearby. And the leader said, I want to send you two guys over there, Joshua and Caleb. Go over there, and I want you to have a look. God promised this, and I want you to have a look. Tell, tell us, come back and tell us, is it really true? Is what God said really, really true? And they came back, and they, um, they had a, a, the Bible says a bunch of grapes that two guys had to carry on a pole. Like, that's that's a good day for any winemaker right there, okay? A bunch of grapes that would have just been like as tall as me and so heavy that two guys carried it. So when we talk about blessing and we talk about God providing, like he's like, he doesn't give us half of it. Man, he gives us the whole lot all the way. And so they come back with this bunch of grapes and they said, guys, it is exactly what God said. Flowing with milk and honey, grapes galore. And uh, they said, there's one thing. There's some big dudes over there. Like, there's some big, scary folk over that hill. So, it's good, but it's scary. Um, God's telling us to take that land anyway. And they're like, oh, we don't know what to do. So, there are, in fact, grapes in life. And they signify God's blessing. But there are also giants. There's grapes and giants. There's blessing and there's hurdles to be taken on. And so, this is where we pick up this morning. The first week was... The promise of power that God says, um, and we're going to tie this, this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 7, we're going to tie that into Ephesians, the whole book of Ephesians, and look at that. And uh, God says in Ephesians um, that we are promised with power. We are promised with purpose, and this week we are promised with protection. There are a few moving pieces to this, this message this morning, and I, I literally have spent so long um, agonizing over it. But uh, usually what I like to do when I preach a message is, give you all the points that lead up to a, a single idea. Um, but I've been doing that, and I can't figure out a linear way of doing it. It's a, a very circular idea, and it's confusing. So I'm going to go back to front, um, even though it goes against my good judgment, and I'm going to give you the end. So hopefully it helps clarify things as we move forward uh, through this morning. So here's what I come up with. We are fighting for God and against the devil. At the same time, that we're in a fight, we are in a battle, and God says we are fighting for him, but we're also fighting against the devil. It's a subtle difference, and there's some stuff in there, and hopefully this will make it clear. You may be like, Pete, what the hell are you talking about? Sorry, am I allowed to say that? Pete, what the heck are you talking about? It's all right. It'll become clear over the next 21 minutes. So let's start. Let's read a whole bit of the Bible, and uh, hopefully it'll, be, it'll become clear. If you've got a Bible, Deuteronomy 7, 11 to 24. If you don't, that's absolutely cool. Download one when you get home. But we're going to read, read this together. No, I'll read it. You listen. So be careful to obey the commands, rules, and laws I give you today. If you pay attention to these laws and obey them carefully, the Lord your God will keep his agreement and show his love to you, as he promised your ancestors. 
He will love and bless you. He will make the number of your people grow. He will bless you with children. He will bless your fields and good crops and give you grain, new wine and oil. He will bless your herds with calves, your flocks with lambs in the land. He promised your ancestors he would give you. You will be blessed more than any other people. Every husband and wife will have children. All your cattle will have calves. The Lord will take away all disease from you. You will not have the terrible diseases that were in Egypt. So they've just come from Egypt. It's the people that have come from Egypt, out of slavery, and God's saying, I've got something amazing for you. And he's saying, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to take away what you were given. But you will give, but he will give them to all the people who hate you. So he's going to take the disease off God's people and give them to someone else, which kind of would suck if you are someone else. You must destroy all the people the Lord your God hands over to you. Do not feel sorry for them. Do not worship their gods or they will trap you. You might say to yourselves, because these nations are stronger than we are, we can't force them out. So remember I said, they've gone into this place. They've sent a couple of spies. They've gone into this place, looked around and gone, like, there's some big dudes over there. It's scary. And they're saying, because these nations are stronger than we are, we can't force them out. But don't be afraid of them. Remember what the Lord your God did to all of Egypt and its kings. I get sidetracked really easy. I'm going to get sidetracked for a second. Um, faith. We talk about faith sometimes. And, and faith in nothing is recklessness. Faith in nothing is just vain hope. But the Bible calls us to have faith based on God's faithfulness. And this is what he's saying here. He's saying, remember what God has done. Remember God's faithfulness in everything he has done for us. Remember that. Then you can build a faith about, uh, on, built on a solid foundation. Um, we're not a church talking about vain hope. We're talking about a faithful God that we can trust. And now I've lost my spot. Remember the Lord your God. Remember what the Lord your God did to all of Egypt and its king. You saw for yourselves the trouble, signs, and miracles he did. How the Lord's great power and strength brought you out of Egypt. The Lord your God will do the same thing to all the nations you now fear. The Lord your God will also send terror among them so that even those who are alive and hiding from you will die. Don't be afraid of them because the Lord your God is with you. He is a great God and people are afraid of him. When the Lord your God forces those nations out of the land, he will do it little by little ahead of you. You won't be able to destroy them all at once. Otherwise, the wild animals will grow too many in number. But the Lord your God will hand those nations over to you, confusing them until they're destroyed. The Lord will help you defeat their kings and the world will f- forget who they were. No one will be able to stop you. You will destroy them all. Two things I want us to take out of that passage and just plant them in the back of your memory as we move forward. One, he talked a lot about material possessions in the first part of that. And I want you to remember that because I'm going to come back to it later. Two, verse 21. Underline that. If you've got a paper Bible, if you've got a version app, select it and tag it a nice pretty pink color. Verse 21, do not be afraid of them because the Lord your God is with you and he is a great God. We remember what God did and that's faithfulness in our life and we build our faith up on that. Do not be afraid because the Lord your God is with you. He is a great God. So what do we do? We're moving into these promises. We're getting attacked by Satan and, God's, and, and sometimes life feels helpless. Um, but the Bible doesn't leave us there and God provides us with armor and strength and Stuff that we can deal with our problems. He says God is a great God, but God, there's a, we have a responsibility. Um, 
And Ephesians, this is where we jump over to Ephesians uh, in a second. But in Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. And we're going to discuss that for a minute. But there's a couple of things we need to know. One is that our armor is not automatic. We don't just charge into a battle before putting the armor on. Like, we're going to do something about it. Um, and that's why we're here. We're building our armor. We're building our faithfulness. We're building um, the truth into our lives. We're building uh, the gospel as a foundation. We're building our faith that can be a shield for us. We're here on Sunday morning so we can build up our armor. It's not automatic and it's not easy. It's like there's no battle that's, that's easy. When, when God calls us to do stuff, it's like, uh, there's a good point, but I'll make it later. It's out of time. Um, and Ephesians 6, he talks about the armor. It's not, you know, I've, even I've preached on this for a whole message about the armor of God. And you go through it one by one. You look at all the details. But I think Paul, when he was writing it in reality, was like, guys, he's like, I need to write some encouragement at the end of this book to these dudes. And he's like, oh, there's a soldier. I'll write a really good analogy about the armor of God. Yep. And he writes it down. So these guys, they saw Roman soldiers all the time. And they understood it. They're like, oh, yeah, okay. And so Paul just writes that analogy. People are like, I get it. What Paul does is he takes an everyday analogy and he spiritualizes it to represent the spiritual warfare um, in a realm that we can't see. So this is spiritual. He takes an everyday analogy and makes it a spiritual um, element to it. So he kind of, the church got it. And I think it'll help us as well. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Fresh struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with the feet, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Before we move past that, um, I want to go off topic one more time. That last bit, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Um, usually when, when we speak, when a preacher speaks, he prays for the people to listen. Uh, I want to encourage you every week, every Sunday, you go back to your church, you pray for that preacher. So I've got four observations and things that are hopefully going to make sense about these two passages and things that are going to link together. If you're a note-taking person, good on you. I encourage you to take some notes. If not, you're going to have to download the podcast later on. Um, but there's a lot of stuff to remember this morning. Number one, outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. 
The first part of Deuteronomy, he says, remember to obey my rules and commandments. He doesn't even start with the blessings. He doesn't start with the promise. He doesn't start with the battle. He says, one, obey my rules and commandments. And some people are like, man, God, I just want some breakthrough in my life. God, I wish you'd fix my finances. God, I wish you'd fix my relationships. And God's like, well, that's really easy to fix your finances. Stop spending more than what you're getting and your wage. Like, you've got this much coming in, you can't spend more than that. It's really easy for God to fix that problem. If we got relational issues, you're like, God, I just, I'm having a struggle with this person. God's like, well, then go with the gospel of peace. I give you clear outlines on how to deal with conflict. Go to that person in love and understanding. And deal with it. If you've got emotional problems, God's like, God, just fix my emotional problems. I'm so upset. God's like, you're not reading the Bible. Because in the Bible it says I love you. And stop getting emotional about it. Just do it. Read the Bible and trust me. When we obey what God gives us, it's funny how things start to fix themselves. But obedience takes courage. And this is where I think our role comes in. God says, outcome is my responsibility and obedience is ours. But for us, obedience takes courage sometimes. It's like, it's just tough. It takes discipline. Uh, If you want to know more about being obedient, being in the middle of God's will, I can't encourage you enough. Uh, Earlier this year, we we hit a a theme called God's will is whatever. As long as Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And here's, here's the clinch right here. In all your ways, every way you live life, submit that to God. And then he'll make your path straight. So if you want a straight path into the promised land, that's easy. You've got the answer. You don't have to look anymore. I'm, I'm telling you. Submit your ways to God. That's it. And he's going to make your path straight. The end of um, that, I've already read this passage out um, in our giving spot, but prepare the horse for the day of battle, for victory belongs to the Lord. And another translation reads, do your best, prepare for the worst, and trust God to bring victory. Outcome is God's responsibility. What do we do? We prepare the horse for the day of battle. We prepare for the worst. We get ready. We do stuff, we fix stuff in our own lives, and God says, I'll figure out the rest. Point one. Now, number two, God has made provision for your protection. This is where we're going to hit Ephesians. When we talk about the armor of God. He's made provision. It's right there, and he's outlined it, and he's outlined what it means. The promise of God's protection doesn't mean we won't face any problems. Do not think I'm going to get up here and say, man, you just come to church and trust God. All your problems are going to go away. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Um, I'd put it down to something like this. Um, In fact, the opposite will probably happen. Um, The Bible doesn't say God will protect us from the battle. The Bible says God will protect us in the battle. A thief will never break into a house if there's nothing to steal. If the devil sees something valuable in you, he's going to try and break into your life. He's going to try and destroy everything about you. 
everything that matters to you, the people around you, the relationships you have, um, the, your money, all that sort of stuff. If, if you take a step forward to God, if you step up at Elevate to lead an Elevate group, you better get on your knees first and start praying. Because you know, you might as well get a, get a t-shirt, get a fresh t-shirt. I'm not talking about Elevate Church with a logo. Elevate, don't, not one of them. I'm in a t-shirt with a big target on it. It says, devil, I, I'm, whatever you got, bring it. I might come back to that a bit later. Number three, you can't defeat your enemy if you can't discern your enemy. These guys were sent out into the promised land, and that was really easy for them to look and say, wow, there's some big scary guys, uh, like Amalekites, I think. I don't know what that means nowadays, but that's what they called them in the Bible. And they were big guys, and they were scary. And they like come back and they're like, it's good, but we can't do that. Like, there's some scary giants over there. It was really easy for them to see. But in Ephesians, what does it say? That our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against a battle in the spirit, in the heavenly realms. What does that look like? What does that mean? Um, maybe if, if um, we think in life that our enemy is our wife, or if you're a girl, a husband, you think, man, I just, that's my enemy. And God's like, no, that's not, they're not your enemy. Um, the devil's just trying to get into your relationship. But maybe things aren't working, but the devil's working in that area. Maybe if you've got an employment problem and you're thinking, man, it's just, I've got an employment problem. Um, maybe it's just the devil sidetracking you or delaying things. He's taking you away from where you need to be. You need to know the devil's going to try and ruin everything you try and attempt to do. Maybe if you're a teenager and you think you've got a, your parents are the problem because they're telling you, don't hang out with that kid or don't hang out with that boy or don't go to that party. And you think, man, I've got a parenting problem. And it's like, no, not really. Actually, your parents love you and they're trying to take care of you. Um, you didn't know that your perspective is based on the devil trying to speak lies into your life. And you need to get rid of that. Maybe if you were to hear me talking about giving and tithing, and you were thinking, man, all the church ever wants is my money. Um, you think it's just me attacking you. you no. Um, you need to know that the devil has told you a lie and that he's the one that's trying to say, he's trying to set, put a barrier between me and you. When Because God promises blessing and pro God promises he's going to look after you. And that's what the Bible says. And that's all I ever preach about when I talk about giving. And you, So here's a question I come up with. Is that if we're trying to discern our enemy, because this, this is the key right here. If we can figure out what's our enemy and what's not, then life becomes a whole lot simpler. Does the voice in your head line up with scripture? All the church ever wants is my money. Well, hold on. Let's look at what the Bible says. The Bible says we use money to build the kingdom of God. The Bible says that that God wants to move in other areas of your life. The Bible says that this stuff, this is what's going to happen. This is the outcomes. If maybe it's, um, what's another good analogy? I can't think of one. I'll come back to it. 
But if what you're hearing in your life is not lining up with what the Bible says, then you know it's the devil. But if it's if it's like, oh man, I just I can't think of another analogy. I'm going to move on. You get it. You get it. Yeah, you guys are pretty quiet this morning. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. Point four. God gives us strength for our struggle. Ephesians chapter 6. In verse 12, he says this. Struggle. Uh, I can't remember what he says. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against, he- against uh, heavenly realms. But struggles bring opportunities. Struggles bring opportunities. When we struggle with stuff, it could be a financial, emotional, relational struggle that we have. It's practical. Here's something I learned a long time ago. Uh, preaching principle-based messages or theoretical or theological or philosophical type messages, um, they don't mean anything unless it has a practical application. I can get up here and talk about airy-fairy ideas and it doesn't make any sense, but you, I can deliver that because everyone here has a different story. Uh, you need to take this idea and, 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 and apply it to your own life in your own unique way. But struggles bring opportunities. So whatever you're struggling with, God's going to give you an opportunity right then and there. Because that opportunity is a choice. That right then and there, if you're struggling with something, that opportunity creates a choice in your mind about how you're going to approach it. How do I approach this struggle in my life? Do I blame God? Or do I look at myself and say, maybe I need to fix something? Maybe we need to change our language and someone says, you know, how are you going? Oh, man, I'm struggling. Well, yeah, okay. If we step out in the name of Jesus, of course the devil is going to try and bring us down. If we're struggling, maybe we change our language to I'm getting stronger. And we shift our perspective from woe is me, everything's bad, nothing good ever seems to happen to, you know what? Stuff doesn't seem to be going great, but this opportunity that I have in life is building me up in character and in strength. This stuff that's happening in my life is giving God an opportunity to work, to, to grow me, to change me. This, this struggle in my life is building a foundation of faithfulness that at the end of it, I'm going to turn around and say, man, God, you got me through that. And next time something bigger and greater and better happens and you're like, man, it's really tough. And maybe all we need to do is remember this is what the Israelites forgot. They were going to take this land and they forgot. This is a bad memory. I don't know. Alcohol, fetal syndrome or something. I don't know. They forgot everything. God's like, I did this stuff for you in the past. Why are you forgetting? Maybe this morning, all you need is a reminder of the times that God stood up for you and he never let you down. If we want to see breakthrough, we need to push through. Um, at church, in the bottom left corner of that screen, you'll see Breakthrough 2014. Uh, that screen as well, if you're on that side. Um, Breakthrough 2014. And at church, we're praying and we're pushing and we're just trying to... Um, at the beginning of the year, Mark scrapped all of our message outline and and changed it because he's like, we need to push through. We need to re- realign all of our message and all of our teaching to this idea that we need to get ourselves right 
and arm ourselves that we can break through stuff, certain um, barriers and stuff that's going on in our ministry. Um, so after all that, I'm, I'm, I'm working on this message and I'm praying to God and I'm like, oh, yep, this is cool. We're fighting. We're, we're struggling. We're, we're standing against the devil's schemes. That's cool. And I always like to boil things down really basically. And I'm like, so why are we fighting? Why are we fighting? Because if I was to look at Deuteronomy in the early part of Deuteronomy, it says, uh, you're going to go take that land and you're going to get more cows and sheep and grapes and kids. And I don't want any more kids, so that's irrelevant to me. I've got three. And, uh, and if we had four, it would be a miracle. So... Um, Why are we fighting? Because it seems that if I look at Deuteronomy, I'm fighting for material possessions. Really? I'm fighting for a bigger TV? Like, like I'm going to give up everything for a bigger TV? I'm like, there's got to be more to that. But giving up would be easier, wouldn't it? If we gave up, I can take my t-shirt with my target on it. I take that off and just put my cage t-shirt back on. So I step down out of Satan's firing line. We don't need to be blessed with more material possessions. We need to be saved from them. You've got to hear me. If you've got a big TV, that's cool. I'm coming to your place to watch the footy. There's nothing wrong with material possessions. But if that is the motivation for us to get up and fight every morning, man, I'm glad you're here this morning. So what are we fighting for? Maybe this will help bring some clarity. What are we fighting for? Ephesians says, stand up and fight. Just take a stand. And you're like, why am I standing? I want to sit down. It sucks being standing. It's getting attacked for no reason. Matthew 6 says this, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. We fight for the kingdom of God. Everything else will fall into place. In Deuteronomy, this is the parallel between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the old battle and the new battle. In Deuteronomy, they fought for material possession because that was what God's promise was. That was how God set them apart. That was how God chose them. And that was at the time they were in slavery and he said, I'm going to free you. And that freedom represented everything to them. That freedom was designed to create worship. And when they were freed in their promised land, to turn around and worship God. But that was for then. And nowadays, I don't know, I'm, in, I'm in full-time ministry. and We don't get paid half as much as what most people do. Um, there's no way I can turn around and say, God loves me. i got a small TV. Like... How am I going to say God blesses me if I'm comparing material possessions? Like it's got nothing to do with that. In Ephesians says we stand because Christ has fought for us. That when we fight, we fight to obey. That everything we talk about obedience and that our struggle is that we're going to fight consistently to discipline ourselves to obey everything God asked us to do. 
Who are we fighting for? What's it, what's it worth fighting for? Who in our lives is it worth fighting for? That we're to build up the church. We're to come here. We're to build up the church. We're going to fight against whatever the devil has for us. But I would suggest that there are friends in our life that don't know Jesus. They need to come to church and you hear about him. And I believe they're worth fighting for. Everything we do revolves around bringing them to know about Jesus. There are co-workers that we work with that don't know about Jesus and they are worth fighting for. That our family is worth fighting for. Maybe our classmates or university mates are worth fighting for. We fight for them and their salvation. Every day we get up and we take that promise of God and we say God's going to protect us because they're worth fighting for. And I think one of the things in my life that, that, that kind of sidetracks me is when I, when I forget about, about that time, when I forget about that idea of salvation, you know, I remember the, the, the place I was sitting, um, the speaker who was speaking, uh, the message he delivered, and why it meant something to me. And I just feel that sometimes we, we forget the magic of salvation. That idea that, that, and he talks about it in Ephesians 2, and this is why I can't encourage you enough, I'm not going to ever have enough time to explain everything that needs to get explained. And if you're coming here to rely on me to feed you, as you can probably tell, it's going to be a futile exercise. You go home and open the Bible and read it for yourself. I read the whole book of Ephesians, like 10 minutes, like prepping for this. I read the whole thing like over and over. Like, it's really not going to take you that long. And there's so much good stuff in there. But Ephesians 2 talks about that... That the gift of grace has got nothing to do with us. It's simply a gift from God. None of us and all of him. And I think sometimes we need to like, I don't know, for me, for I look at people, I'm like, how do I convince them to love Jesus? How do I convince them to come to church? How do I, how is it ever going to be that that person is going to change their life and follow Jesus? And I'm like, I don't know. Victory belongs to God. Victory belongs to God and obedience is my responsibility. And I just sometimes need to remember the magic of salvation. I, just, I, I got nothing. I got nothing. So, God, I'm standing here at 10.01. I, when I looked around, there's 18 people. I'm like, God, what do I have to do to build your church? By the second song, God's like, that's my job. Maybe the message for you this morning is like, God wants his job back. Maybe for you, it's to take this word out of Ephesians. You just got to stand. The book of Ephesians said nothing about fighting. It just says stand. And maybe, I don't know, I'm a guy that likes to do stuff. But sometimes God's like, man, just stop. And God's like, I want you to do your bet. I'll do mine and the rest will get figured out later on. So for maybe for some of so the question I have is what's your stance? Maybe is to stand, give God His job back, or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. And if I was to have a little interview uh, with your guardian angel this morning, I say, you know, how's such and such going? Well, and if I was to look at your guardian angel, uh, you know, they got their 
shield laying down there. They've got their sword laying down there. And they've got the, the big rocker recliner out. They've got a TV and they're watching the footy. Um, they're starting to put on about 30 or 100 pounds. And because um, they're bored. Because you're not stepping out and taking any risks. Mate, and he's like, well, I'm, I'm looking after that person, but they just sit in comfortable in church every morning to appease their guilty conscience. So I'm cool. And maybe God's like, I've got promises for you. I've got friends that you need to change. Maybe that's not for all of us. I'm sure there are a lot of us that serve well and hard you know, in the kingdom. But maybe that is for you. I, uh, one quick story, analogy, um, you know, uh, taking my kids to the pool when they were younger is a hilarious exercise, by the way. Uh, we've got three of them now, so it happens less regularly because I've got two arms and, uh, and it takes a lot to get three kids in two arms. But I remember younger, uh, my Josiah, he's five now, but he was uh, little at the time. Yeah, we were in three or something. We were just in the Belmont pool. He would have been, you know, an arm's length away. He was not very far away. Uh, at all, he's he's chugging away in the deep water. But kids don't have good balance at the best of times. And you put them in water, and there's that resistance, and they get all stumbly and stuff like that. And he's in. So for him, it's probably about waist deep water. And for me, it's about at my ankles. And but he's young, and and he doesn't get it. So he's in about waist deep water, and he and he and he, and he falls over backwards. So he's sitting down, flat on his bum with his legs out in front. But um, when you sit down in waist deep water, the water is now over your eyes. And so I remember he fell over uh, this once, and I just, and he, and he, from under the water, he, his eyes were about the size of saucers, because he couldn't breathe. And he's like, and, and he's looking up at me. He could see me through the water, and and his the look was of sheer horror, and he was terrified beyond belief. Um, and I'm looking at him going, I'm going, you're in, you, a second ago you were standing in waist deep water, and You've fallen over, and now you're terrified. Like, stand up. Like, get your legs, move them around, or just... You need to take a breath, because you can't struggle for air, and and stand up at the same time. Just roll over and stand up. It's all you need to do. But for him, it was panic. And he was so terrified. I'm like, I'm going to remember that, because one day I'm going to get to preach about it, and that's today. But he was so terrified, and... For me, as a father, my perspective on the situation was like, okay, pick him up again and he's <coughs> and off he goes. Um, but I think sometimes it's God with us that our situation seems helpless. And God's like, you're in waist deep water. Just stand up. You've got everything you need. I'm right here. I'm going to pick you up when you fall down. And I'm never going to leave you. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7 nailed everything for me. He did this to demonstrate for all time to come the extraordinary greatness of his grace in the love he showed us in Christ Jesus. He's talking about the gift of grace and what happens. And this is why Jesus died. And this is why we fight. And I, na- and I narrowed it down. And excuse me if this is not, this is not Pete's 
um, translation of the Bible, but I just kind of narrowed it down a little bit more to simply say this, that we fight to show the world the depth of God's grace for all time. That's why we fight. For our friends and our family, we struggle and we battle and we stand. Simply that God's grace can be shown. Um, this morning, um, we, we talked about promises for the last couple of weeks, and maybe this morning you're at a place where um, you don't even, you're like, you haven't committed to following Jesus, you don't, you don't even sure God's real or anything like that. I want to I show you the magic of salvation. It's, magic's a weird word to use at church, but it really is that, that God wants to do stuff in your life and through your life. And maybe you haven't made a decision to follow him yet. Um, the greatest promise, I believe, the greatest promise in the whole Bible is this promise here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I chose a really old translation of the Bible, unapologetically, because I just think it's so poetic. I love it. It sounds really, really cool. This translation was written 400 years ago, but I'm just like, it's really cool. And the word shall in there highlights the promise. He, we shall not perish. That's the promise God makes. We shall not perish. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you're here, um, maybe for the first time, maybe you're here for the hundredth time. If you're at a place where you're like, God, I need to commit to following you. I need to change what I'm doing. I need to change how I'm living. I need to change my motivations, my orientations, my perspectives to following you with everything I have. I want to give you an opportunity now and lift your hand if you're like, yep, that's me. I need to change who I am. If you're a committed follower of Jesus, I, I, I encourage you to be praying for salvation. I pray that God works in people this morning. I'm just going to give you 10 seconds and look around. If you want to fight for something greater than material possessions, if you want to fight for friends and family, All right. I think the greatest thing we can do is to bring our friends to a place where they can hear about Jesus and be given an opportunity. I encourage you to bring your friends to church. Wherever, whether If you're a first-time guest, um, bring them to your church. If you're a regular here, bring them to our church. Bring them to a place where they can hear about Jesus, where they can understand that God's got so much promise for them, they would not even know what to do with it. And he promises to never leave you or forsake you. He promises that you shall not perish. And that, I don't know, that excites me a bit. It may not sound like it, but it's exciting. I think it's worth getting up out of bed for in the morning. Where's Neil? What's the coffee? Neil's not even here. He's left the room. I hope you guys had a great morning. Um, It's going to be good. If you want to get filled in on the first two sessions of Grapes and Giants, jump on the podcast. There's coffee. Enjoy the coffee. It's black. It's hot. It's tasty. I had some already this morning. Say hi to someone new. We want this place to thrive on a culture where we make guests welcome. We we always ask people, why did you come? It's so friendly here. We have visitors.
come like from, from World Vision and stuff. Like that. Man, you've got a friendly church. That is something I want us to be known for, that we're a friendly church. Say hi to someone new. Make them feel welcome. Enjoy your week.